I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. I'm here to support George Floyd's family because my uncle died the same exact way he did five years ago in Denver, Colorado. From CPR News and Colorado Matters, this is a special two-hour listening session as this state and this country come to terms with the death of George Floyd. I'm glad that George is getting a lot of people behind him, but I just wish the same thing would happen for my cousin, you know. Coloradans have been recording their thoughts and experiences. Racism isn't Democratic or Republican. Racism is about white people. I'm hoping that in the next couple of days we can start having those harder conversations that aren't necessarily common knowledge to people. It absolutely disheartens you to see day in, day out, overnight destruction that occurs. Eight minutes and 46 seconds that Coloradans are reckoning with, each in their own way. It's the amount of time a police officer now charged with second-degree murder knelt on George Floyd's neck in Minneapolis. This was against the backdrop of a pandemic that had already laid bare this state's and this country's deepest disparities. Welcome to a special two-hour listening session from Colorado Matters and CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. We want to hear what you, Coloradans of all colors and creeds, are experiencing right now, what you're grappling with, and what is not being discussed. Use the hashtag AskCM on Twitter. CPR's Avery Lill has her eyes on the social channels. And hi, Avery. Hi, Ryan. In the days leading up to the show, people were already sharing their stories. Let's listen to a law student, Tiara Brown of Denver. It has been great to see so many people out supporting the movement, but I will say that I had some difficulties. A couple of the things that I just wanted to point out, the the movement is about Black lives, and at certain points, it was disheartening to see some of our white allies kind of take hold of the mic and center themselves in these conversations that should be about, you know, what we can do to get some kind of equity and racial justice for Black people. So that was kind of disheartening, and I'm hoping that moving forward we can have a little bit more organization and some more Black leadership that's willing to step in and just educate, because right now it's a lot of surface-level conversations, like we got to go a little bit deeper into the systemic issues that are present in policing and jail and mass incarceration and everything like that. So I'm hoping that in the next couple of days we can start having those harder conversations that aren't uh, necessarily common knowledge to people. I will say that it was peaceful, and I appreciate everyone for being out there. Denver, you did your thing, and I am so proud to be from the state. And hopefully moving forward, we can save some Black lives. People also called to share pain and frustration with how police have responded to protests. Here's Dylan Tusinski of Longmont. I've been down on the ground in Denver, and it was really disturbing to see the way that the protesters were treated. Uh, the police would kneel down next to the protesters and then an hour later fire tear gas into the crowd when the crowd was entirely peaceful. I mean, th- this is, uh, there's no there's no good words for it. We will also hear from law enforcement over the next two hours, as well as folks who've lost a loved one in a police encounter, plus policymakers, faith leaders. And we want to hear from you as you listen. What are you hearing in this conversation that resonates? 
What would you challenge? And what's been your experience? Tell us on Twitter using the hashtag AskCM. I'll be sharing your thoughts throughout the show. Again, that's AskCM to share your perspectives on what you're hearing this morning. Now, in just a few minutes, we'll speak with Denver's head of public safety. He is the mayor's man overseeing the police and sheriff's departments. What questions might you have about how the city has handled protests, how city leaders will move forward? Once again, the hashtag AskCM. First, I want to bring in Tay Anderson into this listening session. He's director of the Denver School Board and a Black Lives Matter activist. He has been a consistent presence in the protests. And hello, Tay. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start with some news. I understand that tomorrow you and other school board members, as well as the superintendent, will be at West High School to announce that DPS intends to sever its relationship with Denver police. You tweeted in all caps, our schools will no longer be ground zero for the school to prison pipeline. Uh, Tell us about your thinking there. And do you plan to replace officers with anyone? Um, Well, we are working diligently to make sure that Denver Public Schools is a safe environment for all students, particularly our students of color who have been consistently put into the school-to-prison pipeline that far often impacts our Black males than any other uh, student demographic in the Denver Public Schools. And so tomorrow uh, we'll have an announcement about our intentions uh, with Denver Police Department moving forward. Um, And then we don't have any plans to bring in our own personal security. We have campus safety um, and Denver Public Schools. So we already have a safety division that is unarmed um, that have been part of our school communities for decades now. We plan to continue to keep them um, and make sure that they are giving the proper training in order to be able to respond to um, the needs of our most vulnerable learners. And finally, we need to put the funding that we're using for police officers towards mental health support and even full-time nurses in every Denver school post-COVID. The idea then is to remove what are known as school resource officers out of schools. Do I have that right, Tay? Correct. 18. We only have 18 school resource officers out of 225 schools, uh, over 93,000 kids. We only have 18 officers that patrol certain schools, um, mainly because of the size of the school and um, the different areas that the school resides in. Does this decision have anything to do with the conduct of Denver police this week? Uh, Yes. Um, Denver police uh, were, um, when we had the peaceful protesters and uh, they were gathering, we had our children that were gassed, that were shot at. Um, And I cannot condone any of the action by the Denver Police Department when it impacts our children who were just going downtown to proclaim Black Lives Matter, and I am disappointed that they um, were victims of that sort of um, uh, of what happened downtown, and we are not going to allow that to happen again, and therefore we have to take further steps on our own as a district. I read an account of you confronting a man with a rock during the protests, and this account says that you apparently convinced him to put the rock down. Uh, what was he about to do? What did you say to him? He was getting ready to throw it out of the police officers um, at the Denver Sher- at the, the Denver sheriffs um, when we came up to the jail on Friday night. And I told him that that's not what we were here for. Um, and I asked him to put the rock down. There was a mother 
who was just standing there, a black woman who was trying to see her black child who had been put into a cage um, at the Denver jail and who was told to come back at a certain time. But the actions of us there were prohibiting her from being able to go in. And so mainly it was how can I get this mother um, to go see her child um, and make sure that she is not uh, being punished um, for somebody else's actions. And so I told him, we're not here for this. Please put it down. And I was begging people to please just leave the area, mainly um, so that we can get this mother in, in, in to see her uh, child in the Denver jail. How much is the change that you are seeking in these protests related to this year's election, Tay? So I think people need to get ready to get out the vote because we have to have good leadership in order to change the laws. We have a bill that's in the Colorado legislature right now from police accountability, and we need good legislators in there, and we need all um, legislators that have proclaimed Black Lives Matter, not only just to stand in solidarity with this bill, but to vote for the bill to make sure it gets passed, not to be silent on it and just give a blank check and a blank vote. So that's what people have to be watching out for is when policymakers are making policies, we have to be able to ensure that the policies are reflective of, reflective of us. And the only way we can do that is by making sure that the policymakers look like us. And so I encourage everybody to get out to vote. If you're 16, you can register to vote in the state of Colorado. And people need to make sure they're voting in the June primary as well. Okay, Tay Anderson, you've kindly agreed to stick around for much of this first hour, so do stay on the line. As I said, Denver's Director of Public Safety is with us as well. Murphy Robinson oversees the police, sheriffs, and fire departments. He had just gotten the gig when these protests began. And welcome back to the program, Murphy. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Uh, this is a listening session, and so why don't we together listen to this piece of tape that came in? Yeah, my name is Titus Peterson. I was at the protest on Saturday. I was walking with my 12-year-old child and also with uh, my 19-year-old son. There was no warning. There were no gas masks handed out, and they proceeded to gas all of us indiscriminately. It's just ironic that we went there to protest excessive force. Somebody needs to be held accountable. I think the mayor is the first person for allowing toxic chemicals to be used on their own people in the city. You've heard that. You've heard Tay's concerns. How do you respond? You know, um, I would say first and foremost uh, to Mr. Peterson and all those who have reached out to me that have similar stories to this, um, it hurts my heart to hear because that is not the uh, that is not we aim, what we aim for when we uh, have peaceful protest uh, in our city. However, uh, the reason that we had to deploy such measures is because uh, while there were plenty of peaceful protesters and peaceful demonstrators in our city the first few days, uh, there were also a lot of agitators and a lot of uh, folks that came to our city um, in the vein of doing harm uh, to the police. As Tay uh, described himself, uh, there we saw people uh, bring rocks. Uh, we saw people throwing, a matter of fact, I got hit by a rock when I was on the front line. Uh, we saw people throw bricks. Uh, we have uh, we've seen rifles brought to the uh, table, uh, handguns. Uh, we have improvised explosives that have happened over the last week. And so, you know, I would tell you that um, this this situation is a lot more complex than uh, 
then it's uh then we realize and uh while I appreciate um all of the peaceful protests that happened we had a lot of people uh that were causing harm to our police officers As a matter of fact injured our police officers as well as uh were causing harm to each other and it is our job to make sure that uh we can bring peace back to our community let, let uh, me ask you i just want to put a finer point on this when you have peaceful protesters and perhaps among them or near them are people who are not peaceful do you have to accept some amount of collateral damage, for lack of a better term? Is that just part of the reality? It's it's sort of what I hear you saying. You know, the the way you put it is correct. Um, it's it's unfortunate, and this is this is what we want to look at uh, moving forward uh, in in policy and in practice to see how we can do better. But I would tell you this: is we don't want innocent people hurt. And uh, the alternative to using less lethal force, uh, such as we did, uh, the police department did, uh, such as tear gas and or pepper, uh, pepper balls or whatever else they used, is to go hands-on. Going hands-on is a lot worse. Uh, and and getting into an altercation with people is a lot worse than trying to disperse the crowd. And but I hear I hear our the concern from our citizens, which is why I have dedicated um, my staff as well as an entirely new process of making sure we review all footage uh, that's brought to me. We review all complaints that is brought to me, uh, and and my staff because it is vital that we hear. And it is vital that we listen, and it's vital that we move on uh, the things that were are, that were inappropriate uh, that happened. I am not here to say that nothing that happened uh, in the police conduct was inappropriate, but I will tell you the vast majority of our police officers acted within the scope of their duties. Will the results of those investigations be made public? Yes, they will. They will. Okay. This is a special listening session from CPR News and Colorado Matters. You can engage with what you're hearing by using the Twitter hashtag AskCM. This week, we saw an officer fired for a social media post encouraging a riot. He was a new officer in his probationary period, so it was relatively easy to terminate him. Uh, Do you think that incident reveals something about Denver's police culture? No, I think it's isolated, um, but I do think there, it is an issue. Um, we, I will never tolerate, nor I know that the police chief will never tolerate uh, conduct such as that. Um, as we are, uh, are apprised of folks um, in our ranks uh, saying uh, things such as that and um, uh, expressing um, themselves in a way that does not match the values of our departments, uh, any of the departments in, the, uh, in public safety, uh, we will take appropriate action. Now, I do want the public to realize, yes, he was a probationary officer, and that uh, this was done because of those values didn't uh, did not match. However, there is a process. There's a disciplinary process that's a good process uh, that we will follow to make sure that all police officers, sheriffs, deputies, and all people in public safety are held accountable to their highest standard. Well, I am going to have you stay on the line, Murphy, as well as Tay Anderson, so that as we get questions through the hashtag AskCM on Twitter, you might field those. 
Stick around, and thanks so much for your time. We also invited Denver's police chief, Paul Pazin, and we'll have him on if he becomes available. He did hold a virtual town hall Wednesday evening and said the department should be held accountable for any unnecessary force. He also said he supports a duty to intervene. That policy would require officers to step in when one of their colleagues acts inappropriately. You just look at the video of the death of, of George Ford, Floyd, the horrific death. It involved four officers, and if any one of them would have said, enough, if any one of them would have said, stop, then we wouldn't know George Floyd's name. State lawmakers will consider a duty to intervene and other possible policing changes. We'll discuss that. Also coming up, a longtime member of law enforcement who's African-American. He refers to it as being part of the black and the blue. That's in our second hour. Hi, uh, my name is Pam Christensen. I live in Denver. I would just like to state that I am not at all interested in any feel-good stories about the Denver police marching with protesters. I believe that any images of police kneeling or marching to protesters or acting as if they're on our side is purely propaganda meant to quell um, the anger that everyone is feeling. And as journalists in the media, I think you need to consider your role in pushing pro-cop propaganda by propping up these stories and not providing the full context around it and also not following up on them. One of Colorado's more recent and high-profile officer-involved deaths will soon have its day in court, a civil suit being filed today on behalf of 19-year-old Devon Bailey. An El Paso County grand jury found that two Colorado Springs police officers were justified when they shot and killed Bailey as he ran away from them last August 3rd during a robbery investigation. Body cam video showed that Bailey had a gun in his shorts, but police didn't find it until after they shot him. Bailey's girlfriend, Laquana Gardner, spoke with me Wednesday, as well as his cousin, Lawrence Stoker, who was with him when they were stopped by police. Also, Pastor Promise Lee who helped keep the peace as tensions rose after the the 2019 shooting. Well, I want to thank all of you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lawrence, you were there, but for everyone else, they watched what happened to Devon Bailey on video. When you watched the video of George Floyd's death, what what did you think? It brought up a lot of of old feelings. It brought up what I went through with Devon how helpless him and me actually really were. Talk about the helplessness, especially from your vantage point. Just not being able to, like, get in front, like, stop him from doing that to him and just not being able to run over there and plug a hole or anything like that. That is to say, plug a hole in his body, you mean? Police stopped you that day, last August. Acting on a 911 call, your attorney says, came from a swatter, meaning that this was a dubious call. What what would you say to police about the way law enforcement responds? I would say to the police that they should have never stopped me or Devon. If they would have spent one or two minutes investigating, they would have known Anthony Love was high, drunk, a known liar, 
Instead, the police acted as the judge, the jury, and the executioner, just like they did George Floyd. So for you, this was about waiting a moment. Yes. And yes, of course, in in the field, on the street, if you're an officer, waiting a moment can be a deadly decision. How How, how do you think that should be balanced? I don't even know how to answer that question. Yeah. You were standing with your hands up as police chased Devon. I wonder how it influences your life now, having been in that moment. It encouraged me to start protesting and started me to try to get my people to vote to get the racist president out of office. Were you politically active prior to this? I wasn't. You weren't. So that's been a change. How how has it affected your state of mind? I, I wonder if if you are dealing with the effects of trauma. Yes, I've I have mad trauma. I every time I go to sleep, I see it. I live it every day. I walk past it every day. It's just it really affects me. After the video of Devon Bailey's death appeared on social media, the Colorado Springs African-American community was furious. Uh, Pastor Promise Lee of Relevant Word Christian Cultural Center may have prevented a dangerous situation when he preached a message of peaceful protest. Uh, And Pastor, you then found out that the police officers involved in Devon Bailey's death were back on the streets the day of his funeral. What did you decide to do when you learned that? Uh, it was quite difficult to hear that information. And after it was verified, I reminded people that the message was, yes, about forgiveness, but not absent of accountability. What did you tell people about their anger at that moment? And what did you tell people about how to channel it? I asked folks to give me the benefit of the doubt and please give me some time to try to bring some resolve to the situation. And I also encourage folks that if you, I said, if you don't trust the process, at least trust me and let me um, try to navigate through the process. Do you think George Floyd's death is a turning point, Pastor? I think George Floyd's death is a turning point. I think people are at their limits. You know, water comes to boil at a certain temperature, and George Floyd's death exceeded the boiling point temperature. And I think that it will continue, the the water will continue to boil unless there's some immediate action and substantial action taken. What does that look like in your own community of Colorado Springs? What would you like to see happen? Well, I think that uh, in the community of Colorado Springs, um, our local government needs an enema. And uh, what I mean by that is that uh, it's not likely, but we need to just start over. We need to clean out what we have and start over. Uh, On Wednesday, some state lawmakers introduced new legislation in response to George Floyd's death, uh, which would make sweeping changes in police policy including requiring independent investigations into officer-involved violence. Um, Devon Bailey's killing was found to be justified by an El Paso County grand jury. H- how does that decision sit with you, Pastor Lee? 
It's unfavorable, obviously, but it wasn't a surprise. If you look at the history of grand juries and how they were set up, it, it's, they were established from uh, an old colonized system in England. And, you know, we're, we, we, the United States is still utilizing that system, but the system in and of itself doesn't work. It's a kind of a secret or silent system. It's not transparent. And so if you have a system that is not transparent, it cannot be held accountable or critiqued. And so things happen in that system that uh, we don't know about and, and some things we'll never know about. Laquana Gardner, uh, why do you think George Floyd's death has made such an impact over so many other black men and women who have died at the hands of police, including Devon? George was unarmed. Devon wasn't. And then there was also like four police officers on top of George. And then there was like, you know, two police officers or however knows um, that shot Devon. Like, you know, he like suffocated. Devon died because like, you know, bullet wounds. So like there's, it's different, but they're not. But honestly, I don't know why it's like, you know, I don't know why. Mm. But I'm glad it did. I'm thankful. You're thankful for that. I'll, I'll say that, mm-hmm. uh, indeed, you, you hinted at this, that Devon Bailey was armed, although police didn't actually know that until af- after he was shot and they removed his, his shorts. You were at the state capitol Tuesday, I think it was, in front of protesters when lawmakers announced the introduction of the bill I mentioned. What was it like after all this time to hear, I mean, it must have been thousands of voices shout Devon Bailey's name over and over? Numb, because never in a million years would I would think that I'm sitting here shouting his name because of what happened, but also happy because there's a lot of supporters out there for us, and we need as much people as we can get. What do you mean numb? I mean numb is in, like, losing him. Like, everything that comes be, like behind him, you know, with him. Like, after that day, after losing him, I'll never be the same. But, like, I moved forward because of our daughter. Like, he would want us to do that. He would want me to do that for our daughter. So I do it. That's your daughter, Rosianna, right? Five, five months old? Yeah, Rosianna. She's five months. You you were pregnant when Devon died. Mm-hmm. How, how do you plan to tell her about what happened to her father? I don't know. I really don't know, like... I think about it and I pray about it. The fact is, like, the police murdered Devon and our child would never, like, you know, get to know him. Like, it breaks my heart. I was like, I can only, like, pray that there would be changes so the police would protect my people instead of killing them. I just, I want her, like, to have her own opinion. But I don't want, you know, like, the police killing her father, I don't want that to affect it. But also, I want her to, like, I want her to look at both sides. I don't want her to be one-minded. Hmm. Lawrence? What are your thoughts on essentially the national attention for the George Floyd case and what seems to be more attention now, many months later, for the death of your cousin, Devon Bailey? I'm glad that George is getting a lot of a lot of people behind him, but I just wish the same thing would happen for my cousin, you know. Same thing could have possibly happened. Police could have been thrown in jail. Lawrence, earlier you mentioned getting involved in politics, uh, voting as a powerful way to make your voice heard. 
Uh, There are a lot of people right now protesting to make their voices heard, and there are a smaller number, uh, by all accounts a much smaller number, that are engaging in destructive behavior. What, What do you make of that, Lawrence? I reject that question. It's such a small percentage of a situation that it shifts the focus away from the real issue. Hmm. For too long, the police officers have been murdering our people across the country and getting away with it. The people's names are Devon Bailey, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and the list goes on. That's where the focus of the question should be. I want to thank all of you for being with us. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you a lot. Thank you. Lawrence Stoker is Devon Bailey's cousin and best friend. We also heard from Laquana Gardner, who was his girlfriend, and Pastor Promise Lee, all joining me from Colorado Springs Wednesday. A civil suit on behalf of the Bailey family was just filed today in federal court. Our listening session continues after a break on Colorado Matters from CPR News. Being member-supported carries a responsibility that we at Colorado Public Radio take seriously. I am humbled by the fact that people voluntarily give us money and puts a tremendous responsibility on our shoulders to give you back the best radio we can. It is an honor that people support this service and have done so for decades. I'm membership director Jason Moore. CPR is here because of members who invest in all that we do. Thank you for your generosity. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. And I'm Avery Will. We're hearing you out this morning on Twitter with the hashtag AskCM. We welcome your questions from Murphy Robinson, Denver's Director of Public Safety, and Tay Anderson, Director of Denver Denver School Board and Black Lives Matter activist. They remain on the line. First, let's hear from someone who says she wants something more than marches. Nyla Burton, who is Black, writes about race, climate, and mental health. She's based in Denver, but she's in D.C. right now where she's been protesting. I want people to hear how much pain we're in, how unbearable this oppression is, how desperately we need this world to change, and immediately. But as I scream my throat bloody and type until my fingers are sore and interview until, you know, I lose my voice, um... I do lose hope about whether people are going to hear it. She says peaceful protests are useful, but not enough. There are so many hopes and dreams that I have for my life. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking to yourself like, well, what if I die out here at the hands of a cop? And what if I catch a virus that kills me a couple weeks later? Um, And I think that's why I felt so frustrated by people saying, that these protests need to be peaceful. Um, I don't disagree with peaceful protests. I think every kind of protest is useful. But for me, it felt like so many of us will die because of these protests, because of COVID. And if we are risking our lives, I don't want to risk my life to sing and to march. And I'm not saying that that's not useful because it is useful. But just for me, I was like, I don't want to be on my deathbed gasping for air from COVID. And I didn't do something like burn down a precinct. (laughs) Um, 
I don't think this country can be reformed. What does that mean? What does that mean to restore a country that is built on blood and bone and sweat of indigenous and black people? What, what like, what is there to restore there? Um, and so I think for me, I feel as though I want the entire system dismantled. And so that's why for me, peaceful protest, um, asking our legislatures, like those are all useful things. But for me, those are, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Tay Anderson and Murphy Robinson, I'd like to come back to you. Tay, you've been vocal in asking protesters not to damage property. Could you reflect on this perspective that peaceful protest is not enough? Yeah, correction. I've asked um, allies not to destroy property on behalf of Black people, if that's not what Black people have asked for. And so I understand um, the frustration of of African-American women and uh, children and men and all African-American folks for um, taking their frustration to a different route because we've tried, we've tried marching, we tried kneeling, and now that a couple of buildings have burned down in different cities, we officially have the media's attention to actually say that Black Lives Matter and that we're not crazy. We're not asking for special treatment. We're asking to be treated as human. Murphy, you know, there's anti-cop graffiti all over central Denver, not stuff I can say on the radio. And there's a picture just stuck in my head from my commute the other morning, a squad car driving past some of that graffiti. I imagine you've seen it. Uh, Have you talked to officers about that? What goes through your mind when you see that? Thank you for that question. Yeah, we've I've talked to officers as well as business owners, as well as uh, community members who are uh, not happy about what the state of our our physical structures are um, in the in our city. Um, you know, the the key here is I, it reminds me of a of a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, where he says that riots are the language of the unheard, and he goes on to say uh, that it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice and humanity, and I think that is what has been captured in the language you uh, you played uh, when when really talking about uh, what place riots and this type of protest has uh, in our society. However, where I come from is that uh, I believe that this destruction and violence really takes away from the the real benefit of conversation. It really takes away from our ability to uh, move the needle in a nonviolent manner uh, that will really truly affect lasting change. And so, you know, I think it's so important to recognize that there is a balance. Uh, if we were to allow all of the violence and all of the destruction to happen, uh, you would be on this uh, on this interview uh, asking me, uh, why didn't we do more <laughs> as a police department? And so there's such a balance that we have to strike. But, you know, I hear the cries of our people. I hear the cries of my 
fellow African-American and Latino brothers and sisters that say enough is enough. I can agree with that. I just want to remind our listeners that they can engage with us and what they're hearing by using the Twitter hashtag AskCM. And I want to quickly share a question from Twitter. Deanna Mathis asks, why did police show up to a peaceful protest in Denver in riot gear? Frustrated with the double standard, we had to use force. You showed force by just being present. Murphy, can you reflect on that? I absolutely can. So the reason that happened uh, is, well, I should reflect on the first day. The first day of protest, uh, our police officers were strictly given an order not to show up in riot gear. And matter of fact, they showed up in their regular uniforms. And uh, as soon as violence broke out, hours after the protest started, um, our officers got injured. And matter of fact, so injured that we had to transport a couple of them to the hospital. One officer got hit in the head with a large rock and sustained injuries. And so when it comes to uh, protecting the lives of our officers, by the way, who are our brothers, our sisters, our cousins, our nephews, nieces, friends, neighbors, we have to make sure that they're protected. And so the riot gear is not about showing force while it does have that uh, connotation and have that effect. It's about protecting our officers' lives. And uh, we started out this whole thing not showing up in riot gear until our officers got hurt. We then uh, appropriately asked them to don their riot gear um, so that no more of our officers got hurt uh, when folks started to uh, incite violence. Murphy, very briefly, is that starting to taper back down? Are you going back to the sort of previous iteration or not? You know, that's a great question. We we modify our strategic deployment based on what we see, okay. based on the allotment of, uh, of folks that want to protest uh, peacefully. And so I think the last few nights have been a great example. You have not seen a police officer uh, in and around the uh, the um, the peaceful protest except for directing traffic and directing them through the city. And the reason for that is because 99.9% of those people have been peaceful. And even uh, even within those, we've seen a few uh, bad actors who want to incite some things, but we've been able to isolate them and get them out of the peaceful protest. I want to thank but you both we, for your time. Uh, Murphy Robinson is Denver's Director of Public Safety, Tay Anderson, Director of the Denver Public School Board, a member of Black Lives Matter. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. More of this special two-hour listening session after a break. How History Colorado just blocks from the Capitol found itself at the center of this historic and at times destructive moment. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. It may seem like everything has changed in the past few months, but one thing hasn't. There's still high-stakes elections coming up later this year. I'm News Director Rachel Estabrook, and we're shaping our coverage of the 2020 election with your help. The U.S. Senate primary is just a few weeks away. What do you want the candidates to address as they compete for your vote from now through November? And how has the pandemic changed or solidified your political opinions? Take our short survey at CPR.org slash Colorado 2020. I want to share another message from a caller who reflects on what the unrest has meant for them. My name is Andres Fincher. Honestly, as somebody who is a Mexican-American, LGBT, specifically trans and gay, and 22 years old, watching the hate and the violence in this country towards people of color 
and towards people who are just trying to peacefully express that they have the right to live too is honestly terrifying. So much unrest during a time when we should be coming together and supporting each other. June is Pride Month. Parades to celebrate identity and promote visibility and equality were canceled because of the pandemic. Instead, Saya Taylor, the manager of Rainbow Alley, a space in Denver for LGBTQ youth, has participated in Denver's protests. Speaking as someone who identifies as non-binary, as Black, as gay, um, for me, I feel a lot of times that I'm at a crossroads where it's almost as if you need to choose between okay, are you going to represent your race right now? Or are you going to represent your gender or your sexuality? So they see the intersection of Pride Month and the current protests as an opportunity. We can assume that there were Black LGBTQ identified slaves. We can assume that there were LGBTQ people a part of MLK's protest and Malcolm X. Uh, we know that this identity is not new. So for me, this is a really awesome opportunity to actually embrace all members of our community and really heighten the voices of those who are often misrepresented or uh, just underrepresented or silenced, uh, which tends to be Black and Brown LGBTQ folks, especially Black and Brown uh, transgender folks. Rex Fuller, CEO of the LGBTQ community space The Center on Colfax, adds that policing issues are central to Pride's history. Well, the Pride Movement and the Center on Colfax's history are both very closely tied to issues around policing. The Stonewall riots took place in 1969 in New York City and were an uprising in reaction to police harassment. In earlier times, it was very common for police to harass patrons of gay bars or other LGBTQ establishments and and there was a raid on the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village that erupted in a, into a riot that lasted for several days afterwards. And one year later, organizers put together the Christopher Street Liberation Day, which is really considered the first gay pride march. And that spread across the country and really became the beginning of, of that movement. Our civil rights movement that has accomplished so much, especially in recent years, really has its roots in the same issues that are being protested today. Rex Fuller of the Center on Colfax and LGBTQ Community Space. Well, an organization whose mission is to document the state's history became a part of it. History Colorado is mere paces away from the state capitol, and when things turned destructive, History Colorado's center took a walloping. Joining us is Executive Director Steve Turner. Hi, Steve. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, all things considered. Describe the damage to your building. Well, we had, uh, as has been said, we've had uh, fairly extensive damage in terms of broken windows and quite a bit of graffiti, uh, but I also think, so th- So there is a lot of damage, but I also think, uh, we. The, I think the thing, the issue for me is there have been a lot of questions. We were actually, our building was on the, in the Denver Post twice today on both, there's a picture on both the front page and then uh, the third section. And what has struck me is the conversation around something that's so, um, 
I think, secondary to the much bigger question that we're all struggling with now. We're all, you know, I am heartbroken. I'm heartbroken by all the things that people in our country are going through and struggling. And I think expressing through their their actions, and in some cases that has resulted in, in damage to our building, but the damage to the building is so irrelevant in a sense, to this con- this conversation. I mean, it's relevant from the sense of it's the physical manifestation of, of what people are feel- feeling. But the, the city we were, the city of Denver was an amazing partner, and they came out just two days ago, and the graffiti is all gone. It'll be, you know, a, a month from now, our windows will be repaired. Um, the damage is so, so secondary to the much bigger conversation that the country needs to be having right now. Mm. I, I want to note that I think you did save some of the pieces, some of the detritus, in a way, as yeah. a documentation of this moment, uh, which, as you yeah. say, is is about something much bigger than a broken window. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is really our mission, right? Our mission is to not only make sense, help use the past to help make sense of the, of today, but also to be sure that we're collecting the stories and the physical material that will help future generations make sense of what I am so hopeful will be a watershed moment in American history for the better. But but to your point specifically, uh, when I arrived, when I came to the building down here Saturday, we needed to secure some broken windows. One of our collectors was out uh, front, one of our curators, he had a, a sign that said love, he picked up a sign per, uh, uh, that had been dropped. It said love is the answer. Um, he did. Ha- he had an empty spray paint bottle and there was a, he pick, had picked up a rock that was in the middle of a bunch of our, of our uh, broken glass. Mm. Uh, but what I think is in an odd way, a, you know, we didn't intend this, but it's turned out to be uh, a, I think, a really meaningful collecting opportunity is we had covered, so we've covered a lot of the windows, and the material that we covered them with obviously can be taken down. And so we have two particular pieces of graffiti that we have already said we're going to save. One is uh, about eight feet across and eight feet tall, and it says... I can't breathe. And the other one is uh, another uh, piece that speaks to, uh, you know, our, our need to have humanity for each other. So so in, a, in an odd way, covering the windows to protect them mm. also provided a really uh, amazing collection opportunity. You know, the, the, it was almost the a tableau. It provided a tableau. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Steve, thank you so much for your perspective. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for reaching out to us, and uh, thank you for all the work that CPR is doing around this extraordinarily important time we're all living through. Steve Turner leads History Colorado, whose building took a hit when protests turned destructive early on. Before we wrap up this first hour, I want to share the perspective from a man who immigrated from Iran in 1980s. Now he lives in Lone Tree, and he attended a protest Saturday in Denver. My name is Nusha McQuee. I am an immigrant. I have benefited greatly from everything that this country has offered. And I have been out there demanding justice for George Floyd and everyone else like him. And I think the immigrant communities need to be encouraged and called out for not being present. 
I've seen over the years, over the course of my life in the U.S., how the immigrant communities have demanded, requested, and implored the society at large to support their causes, be it for path to citizenship, for the right to family reunification, for the situation at the border, and so on and so forth. And immigrant advocate leaders have always requested support from other demographics and other leaders in, in, in the society. This land has provided me with equal protection under the law, given me a lot of opportunities, and um, I'm grateful for all of my, my experiences. What bothers me is that when I look at the current situation in the streets, um, a lot of rallies given the George Floyd situation and murder, I don't see immigrants represented proportionate, proportionate to their um, presence in the country. Where is the voice of the immigrants demanding justice for the oppressed black communities? The same way they want it afforded to them, they should demand it for other people as well. And in this case, for the African-American community. Nusha McQui of Tree, who immigrated from Iran in the 1980s, sharing his perspective from the Denver protests. Avery and I will be back in the next hour as this statewide listening session continues. Keep interacting with what you hear. Use the hashtag AskCM on Twitter. That's AskCM. Coming up, what laws might change as a result of this moment? The effect of racism on mental health. And we hear from a longtime member of law enforcement who's African-American. Plus, an Episcopal leader on the president's controversial photo op. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.